This is the Build Our Future podcast. We shape our buildings, and afterwards our buildings shape us. A window into the past, present, and future of the construction industry. There's still a lot of unlocked doors. Clarity with design, craftsmanship with the build. There's still a lot to find out and do and invent. Collaboration for our future. You know, I don't think it's the end of the invention. The Build Our Future podcast with Raul Faria. Let's build. Begins now. Welcome to the Build Our Future podcast. Really, really happy today to have Noor Hashem Fawaz with us from Build a Dream. Noor, well, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I've been I've been talking to you now for the better part of a year, and uh, you know, I've been fascinated by. Um, some of the things you're doing, not just in the construction industry, but just in general to, um, you know, raise awareness and, and provide mentors for, for women aspiring in their careers. Um, tell me a little bit more about it. Where did this, uh, I guess, where did your dream for Builder Dream start from? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. thank you so much. And I've definitely enjoyed our conversations um, in the past talking about this passion and both of our passions and trying to make a difference. Uh, well, Build a Dream, where do I begin? I, I would say that my biggest inspiration has been my mom. I often share the story of uh, my mom entering a male-dominated industry 17 years ago when she went into the workforce for the first time. She was a stay-at-home mom uh, for about 20 years of my life and then uh, was forced into the workforce uh, to be able to raise four kids on her own. So she didn't essentially have a choice. Um, in that. So when she went into the workforce, she realized that she would definitely need to make uh, more than minimum wage in order for her not to end up on, in order for us not to end up on social assistance. Mm -hmm. So um, being a newcomer, having taught herself English, never finished high school, and didn't really have much work experience, uh, she had a lot of barriers standing in her way from finding a job that would pay her more than minimum wage. So after some trials and errors, uh, she went to her uh, financial advisor at the bank in desperation and asked him if he was looking to hire any bank tellers um, and that she would be interested in working as a bank teller. And uh, her financial advisor had known her for a very long time. So he said, Santa, you know, I know you have four kids and uh, you're looking to make enough to be able to raise them on your own. He's like, let's do the math. Um, a bank teller does not make much more than minimum wage. And um, based on the calculations, I don't think that this is the best route for you. He's like, why don't you consider um, starting your own company? And she wondered like, what company could she really start? And he, he recommended that she start selling motor oil in car parts. <laughs> yeah. Oddly enough, um, but the backstory behind that was that my my dad used to um, own a mechanic shop. So my mom had known that part of the of his world for a while, and she was, uh, you know, she she knew a little bit more about cars than than most. So mm -hmm. he said, "You have the network. We can assist you here, and I think that this would be something you'd be really good at." So he worked his magic to help my mom get a loan and helped her connect to the network she needed to start her own business. And she started selling car parts out of her van. And for six months, no one would buy from my mom. 
and um, people didn't take her seriously in the industry. They didn't trust that a woman knew enough about cars uh, to sell products to them. But my mom was very persistent. Um, She's extremely hardworking. She's so um, personable that um, she just never gave up. And so one time, uh, one of her suppliers said to her, her customers now, sorry, said to her, you're going to keep coming back. And she's like, yes, I'm going to keep coming back until you say, yes, I have uh, four kids to raise and I need to make this work. And I want you to trust me. And her company's called Pure Merchandise because my mom does, uh, believes that everything that you do with a pure heart comes back tenfold. Mm. So the this first customer was like, okay, I'm going to give this a try. And sure enough, he opened so many doors for her and then word spread that there's this woman in the car industry and selling car parts and people were really fascinated by that and out of from word of mouth and my mom's hard work she was able to um, grow her company to over 20 employees Uh, she has a 20,000 foot square foot warehouse she owns now the company with my with my brother and they supply from Windsor to Toronto so growing up and watching that happen, um, I was just entering university when she started her company. I found that uh, working in the not-for-profit world, I wanted to make a difference and I really wanted to um, see change happen. And I don't want to say I fell into it, but having helped women get into the workforce and get off social assistance and into the workforce, I just felt like every time I, I, I met a single mom, I was reminded of my mom's story And Build a Dream started out of the thought that if we started very young at empowering young women and giving them the power of choice um, and connecting them with the resources, tools, and the network they needed to make those informed decisions, then we could equip them with financial independence, um, with confidence, and with a career path that can lead them on um, a really strong um, and successful journey. And knowing that power of choice can make such a significant difference in someone's life, um, I felt that we, if we started early enough, then they wouldn't have to go through the hardships that my mom and my family had gone through. Mm-hmm. And that's really what inspired Build a Dream and what continues to inspire the work that I do. I, I love what you said that the uh, the word power of choice, it's actually a very powerful phrase when you really when you really break it down. It's such a simple thing to say, but such a profound concept that um, I find a, a lot of people don't feel that they have sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I, I, all the work that I've ever done in economic development and working with disadvantaged youth or newcomers or um, women on social assistance, it's always come down to breaking down barriers so they can have more options and more choices presented to them. And feeling like you have that power in the decision-making process, that power in um, moving your your life forward can have a significant impact. But it's about really moving the layers of the barriers that stand in the way of many people. And so when you look at the work that we do at Build a Dream, we focus on areas where there is such a small number of women um, pursuing these career pathways. So we look at the skilled trades, We look at science, technology, engineering, and math, emergency response, and entrepreneurship. So then the question is, well, 
Um, is it really that women don't want to pursue these pathways or have there been enough barriers that have prevented them from accessing these pathways? So once you start asking the right questions, you begin to realize that you can actually create solutions to remove those barriers so that young women feel that they have choice in the matter, as opposed to feeling like they have to be conditioned or encouraged to pursue um, the status quo. So it's, it's no coincidence that you see predominantly women um, uh, become teachers, become nurses. We know that um, there's conditioning um, at a very young age where young women feel that they need to help, that they, they want to make a difference. So they naturally go into jobs and career pathways that, that give them that internal satisfaction. But what if we worded these career pathways and, and marketed them differently? Because truly, as a construction worker, a carpenter, an engineer, you are technically making a difference. You're, you're, you're building communities. Everything is touched by a tradesperson. So how do we shift that whole mindset and really speak the language and empower young women to, to see beyond their gender and empower industry to attract more women and not focus on gender. So that's the whole goal at build a dream It's to really shift mindsets and, and empower young women to see that, um, you know, being curious is actually a good thing. Making mistakes is, a gr is, is really good because it only brings you closer to your goal and showcasing to them that there is a network behind them wanting them to succeed. Um, we often say you can't be what you can't see. And that's why it's so important for us at Build a Dream to showcase strong female role models that have broken barriers, that have really um, enjoyed and thrived in their career to share their journey with the future generation so that they're inspired to pursue that pathway. And once you're presented all career pathways and you believe that you can achieve that, that path, then you truly have the power of choice. Until then, you're actually being directed without even realizing that you're being conditioned to go one pathway. And I hear often from young women that attend our events and even their parents, I just never knew that there was these career options available to me. And now that I've heard um, female role models share their career, career journey, I believe that I can follow in that pathway. And that's what we mean by the power of choice. It's been for a little while, um, you know, the talk of, you know, the lack of uh, board members and CEOs, you know, as, as females. Um, and I, and I actually do really believe in what you just said, that when you actually see people, um, you know, that you can relate to, you know, be it like for me, you know, I'm, I'm an Indian man in Canada. When, if I see somebody that looks like me in a certain position, it naturally kind of says, you know what, maybe I could do that, even though maybe it's not in a computer field or an engineering field. And I'm sure that's the same wave with a lot of the, the you know, the younger women that, that you know, that you encounter as well, when they actually see people in, you know, um, senior level positions and skilled trades, it, it just gives them more motivation to like, literally, uh, you know, it's like an automatic confidence that, yeah, you know what, it is possible. I don't know why society tells me or society, society doesn't showcase it enough. Do you know what I mean? 100%. And, and we found a strong connection in, um, confidence and self-esteem and the path that young women choose. So I'll give you a prime example. We know that um, young women's self-confidence and self-esteem 
um, decreases at a significantly higher rate than their 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 peers, their male peers. Mm -hmm. So that being said, if by age, by grade seven or eight or even nine, when they're actually encouraged to choose the career for the rest of their life, that's when they're making career choices and choosing if they're going to go the academic pathway, the college pathway, um, or the applied pathway, that's when they're making the decision as early as the age of 13. So we know that that's the same time where where young women's self-esteem is extremely low. Then we're adding a different layer. We're saying make a decision for your career for the rest of your future, which I think that there's already a problem with that. That's problematic. Um, but leaving that to the side for a second, we're asking young women to go into a tech classroom that's going to be predominantly male. And we know that they're struggling with their self-esteem and confidence. So what are we doing about that? What are we doing to help her build the confidence to go into a path that probably growing up, she wasn't encouraged to pursue. She didn't, she wasn't asked to go tinker in the garage with her father or with her mom. She wasn't asked to build things or fix things. Um, we know that we know that there's de de definitely a difference in how we condition young men and young, and young women. So then you're asking her to start something completely new with her male peers that's going to create a lot of intimidation, a lot of a nervousness. So what we do at Build a Dream is we try to unlayer that. We try to build her confidence, empower her to believe that it's okay to make mistakes, surround her by role models and mentors, empower her, her parents or her guardians to support her so that if she chooses to go into that tech classroom and she's one of two females in that classroom, she's not intimidated and leaves the class and decides to go into a different um, uh, career pathway altogether. We wanna ensure that they uh, are empowered and encouraged to take on these classes as early as grade nine and 10, um, because we, we know that the more you're curious, the more you pursue experiential learning opportunities, the more you ask questions, the more you explore, the, the, the likelihood of you going into a pathway that you're going to really enjoy increases. But we're seeing such a low representation as early as high school, so that once they get into um, the, the, the career, whether it's through the apprenticeship or college, it's almost a little too late at that point, because we've already, they've already invested four years of high school going down a different path. Yeah. So that's why at Build a Dream, our events are positioned in a way where um, we showcase female role models. So they see themselves reflected um, in the information that they're getting. They can see, they can begin to picture themselves in those roles because, you know, if she can do it, then I can. Yeah. And then we showcase um, the different pathways as early as, as high school that they could take to begin exploring with with zero financial investment there's there's programs in schools that allow youth to pursue the trades without actually even making a financial investment and in Ontario it's called the Ontario Youth Apprenticeship Program yeah. I know at West it's the trades program um, and they could try that out get into industry learn the tools learn the trade and really then decide if they want to pursue it or not so we showcase that to them. Like, so what could you do in high school to go down this pathway? What can you do once you graduate 
from high school. And then we connect them to industry. This is all in one evening where they hear from the role model, the, the educational pathway, and then the industry. And we connect all these pieces to them, for them, and then they can make that informed decision. But one thing that we often hear from every, every event, the thing that they love most is hearing stories from female role models that are very honest and um, transparent about their path. Um, and then they, they tell us that once they see other women succeed, they feel that there's a chance for them to succeed. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and going to what you were saying, you know, obviously I'm in the construction industry. I've been I've been in it now for almost 20 years, um, and you know, while I haven't seen, say, in my day to day activities, um, uh, you know, a big uptick in in women in the actual field, either doing drywall, electrical, skill trades, that kind of stuff, I have seen. I have seen a big rise in in that, like on the social media platforms of women, you know, showcasing themselves a lot more. I have seen them more from a project management side, you know, on like a GC kind of side. I've seen I've seen a lot more um, over the last, I would say, five to six years than I did in the first fifteen years of my of my career. Um, but you know, it's it's interesting you say how we're kind of molded, you know, at a young age because, you know, even to this day, I find. You know, women seem to dominate the interior design field, you know, as opposed to the construction side of things. And I find that I find that really interesting because I know a lot of them, they actually get really excited when they're on the project site, you know, when like, interior designers and, you know, they, they love actually seeing how it's being built and how it's coming together. So you see that actual interest there as well. You know what I mean? You just it just makes you wonder how many more would be in the industry if they were not necessarily groomed, but exposed to it more. Exactly. The exposure piece is so key. And it's interesting because I've talked to a few women in construction that originally went through the interior design path mm -hmm. and then decided to um, go into project management or go into the engineering pathway um, in the construction sector um, because they loved it so much. They they realized that maybe it wasn't the interior design. They liked, they enjoyed, um, they enjoyed the concept piece, um, but they wanted to work on the actual building of the, or the construction piece other, other um, in comparison to the design. Well, engineering is still design, but yeah. the, uh, but like piecing it together and seeing exactly, that instead of just yes. doing a 2D drawing, it's like you're taking that 2, 2D and not just that you're building it, but you're coordinating and collaborating with people on a daily basis on physically putting a structure together, physically putting an interior together. You know, it's, 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 I mean, it's one of the things that I love, right? I mean, you know, for me growing up, you know, I, I, I was born in India and, you know, it was, doctor or engineer, right? like, you know, like these preconceived things that you get that, you know, I was like pushed into uh, from a young age. And, you know, I only got the exposure into construction as a result of immigrating here and some of my co-op work experiences. If not, who knows, maybe I'd be a doctor somewhere or an engineer, you know? So, I mean, for me, it happened only when I moved here that I was kind of exposed. So I'm, I'm curious to see how it's, um, coming along, right? Uh, I know last year when we were talking, um, there were a few things you, you had. And I know, I know now like your website is beautiful right now. Um, I love, you. I love how you, 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 you redid it, but um, you know, I, I loved your concept of the dream maker. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about that? Oh, do you still have that by the way? 
Yeah. Um, so are you talking about our um, our dream makers, like our role models? Yeah. Yeah. Like I love yeah. I love I love the terminology, you know, it's just it's, it's no, I'm serious. Like, it's just, like, Thank you. Know, you. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate that. And, and I'll, I'll give you um, a backstory of how we we named the organization Build a Dream, actually how it, it started off as a one off event. It wasn't intended to be an organized a national organization. It was through discussion and through curiosity, quite honestly, um, that we that I that Build a Dream was created and then now is a national movement. Um, at the time, I was working at a women's organization, helping women get off social assistance and into the workforce. And I remember hosting um, a workshop to to teach my clients about the career pathways um, in the skilled trades. And uh, I'm from Windsor, Ontario, and we have a huge manufacturing sector. So I found myself when I was searching for jobs for my clients, I would often come across skilled trades positions. Mm. So naively at the time, I hosted this workshop, invited over 300 clients to to come learn about how they can make up to $25 an hour getting into the skilled trades. And surprisingly, at that moment, um, only one of my clients showed up. Oh. And right. It, I was so surprised, yeah. but no, now knowing the barriers and the underrepresentation of women, I understand why. But at the time I felt um, I was surprised. I said, there's, there must be more to the story because it's not that women aren't seek. It's not that the clients aren't seeking positions. It's not that they don't want to make um, a great wage. It's not that um, they're not working hard in their job search. Um, there's something more at play in this situation. So as opposed to making assumptions that women just don't want to pursue these pathways, I I dug a little bit deeper. I started asking why. Why is it that a, a, a single mom that is eager to get off social assistance so she can have the power of choice on how she wants to raise her children and not depend on a monthly check? Because contrary to what um, the average person believes, people don't actually want to be on social assistance they don't want every dollar and dime track they don't want to be told how to spend their money they want to be able to um, earn their own money be independent and raise their children um, in a in a in a nurturing and enriching environment so knowing that I, I knew that there was more to this the scenario as to why only one client showed up to that workshop. So after asking questions and digging a little bit deeper, I, I learned that there was actually at the time only 3% of women in the skill trades. And um, that there was all these underlying ba barriers. One is that exposure. They didn't have, we didn't, we don't, I never had exposure. I was never encouraged to go into the skill trades as a female student or growing up. Um, the environments also played a factor. The, the way companies recruited played a factor, the way educators um, um, guided female students played a factor, families' perception of the skill trades. You mentioned being um, coming from India, you were either a doctor or an engineer. Um, many families think that university is the, is the only path and right path to pursue mm -hmm. um, and that there's no other option um, that is as successful as the as a university degree, which I beg to differ having completed my master's <laughs> at the University of Windsor. Yeah. Um, so all these factors played a role. And, and so at the time I launched a project called We Succeed Beyond the Status Quo, 
believing that in order for us to really influence change, I, we wanted to understand, well, what impacts or inspires a young woman to pursue a particular pathway? What factors does she, does she consider when she chooses a career path? And who plays a role in that decision-making process? And how can we begin to support that decision and open more doors of opportunities for her to make that career-informed decision and have the power of choice? So a couple of interesting things came out of that study where we talked to young women. One is that parents are the key influencers. That's no surprise. Um, you said you're from India. Your parents wanted you to become an engineer or doctor. I'm from Lebanon and my parents wanted me to become a lawyer or a teacher. And yeah, so know, that parental pressure, I think, is, is very um, uh, undervalued as to how much that can play an impact on, you know, a young persons, you know, sometimes you, you know, you have to make a decision by the time you're 17, 18 years old, do you know what I mean? And that, that pressure could be pretty intense at times, right? Oh yeah. Like, I mean, up until a joke with my friends up until a couple of years ago, um, my mom thought I was a social worker because she's <laughs> like, she helps people. Right. And it's a joke because, yeah. um, uh, we don't realize the cultural impact in the family pressure um, on those career decisions, which is why Build a Dream was designed um, to ensure that parents are partners in the work that we do, that they're a part of the events we host, that they're a part of their, their children's career journey, because they are regardless if we're there or not. So mm -hmm. why not also equip families with all the tours, tools and resources so they feel a little bit more confident, a little bit more informed, a little bit more comfortable and reassured that should their child pursue the skill trades, that it's really rewarding, it's high paying, it's secure and it's welcoming. So that's one thing, that's another, that's another layer to the work that we do. But going back to how this all started, when we learned all that, when we learned that parents are key influencers, that young women still feel that there are certain jobs they can't do simply because they're female, that um, they're not encouraged, they're not exposed, and that they decide careers based on um, the rewarding factor, feeling like they're giving back to the communities, to the society. That's, how we that's when we decided that we needed to host a one-off event where we invite families, where we invite parents, not just the mothers, but the mothers and fathers. We make it a family event and they come learn about these career pathways. We begin to break down the barriers. So we showcase the female role models, as I mentioned. So we can give comfort to the families, to the parents that may not think that their daughters could succeed down that path. But we also showcase to young women that there's been many female role models that have gone down that path and, and have really enjoyed going into the skill trades or STEM. And then we show industry, uh, um, and all the opportunities within the sector and, and how companies are wanting to diversify, are wanting to create more inclusive environments. So that again, parents feel a little bit more assured that um, there's gonna be welcoming environments for their daughter. But at the same time, the young women see all the career pathways and all the doors of opportunities that, that are available to them. And lastly, how to access these pathways, because I'm sure you see this and you probably know this from your network, the apprenticeship pathway and understanding that is not as easy as saying, I'm gonna to apply to college or I'm gonna apply <laughs> to university. It's very straightforward where with the apprenticeship pathway, you actually have to find an employer to take you on. Mm -hmm. um, as, have have as, that patience. 
through your learning curve, right? Exactly. And it's like 90% on the job, 10% in school, Mm -hmm. um, or applying for unions if if you're going down that pathway and then um, accepting jobs that become available. So there's so many different factors to going down that path. So naturally, you have to walk someone through that process and make it as comfortable and as easy as possible so that um, they are more encouraged to pursue it. So our first event was a huge success. We invited uh, grade nine to 12 with their, with their parents to an evening event um, at a local college where they got to try things out um, with their hands as well. They got to build things. They heard great stories. And the first event, we attracted about 130 um, families to, to come out and learn about wow. um, the skill trade STEM and uh emergency response. So we kept hosting the event year after year, but we called it build a dream. And we removed any mention of skilled trades on the flyer because we perception, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, a lot of people said it was deception and I'm like, it was creative marketing. I'd like to say, um, because what parent does not want to help their daughters or their, their child build a dream. Yep. And Ultimately, if if we know that say, simply saying skill trades, um, people have preconceived thoughts about it. There's a lot of stereotypical opinions about it. Um, so if we remove that barrier, because that's essentially a barrier mm-hmm. to entry. So if we remove that and just put build a dream, come learn about career pathways available for your daughter or your mm-hmm. child, that, that actually removes 50% of the barriers because... They now come to the to your event with an open mind, eager to learn what information you have to feed them, to give them. And so year after year, we went from 130 families to over 1,000. Wow. And now we're hosting virtual events with up to 3,000 families registering to learn about these career pathways. Where in the past, you would say you would host a Women in Skilled Trades Night for high school students, and maybe two families would show up. So we needed to... to really be mindful of the language and tweak the messaging messaging too right exactly the language the messaging the marketing Mm -hmm. all that plays a factor in in how we roll out our programs how we roll out our messaging and really Mm -hmm. there's like a science behind a lot of the work that we do um and there's a lot of research that's backed up by the work that we do at build a dream so that's in a nutshell like how it went from a one-time event to To like (laughs) a national organization (laughs) yeah and 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 i'm assuming these events i think you touched on it too they're they're virtual now obviously because of the the lockdowns and the pandemic but is is it the uh the hashtag dream big uh, uh like discovery expos is that is that what that has kind of evolved to right now would you say Yes. So um, it is the dream big. And Mm -hmm. so quickly after COVID happened, we had to cancel six events um, in spring of 2020. Mm -hmm. And uh, we quickly decided as an organization to pivot to a virtual world. Um, We just knew that um, A, if if we ever went back to in-person events, uh, we had the infrastructure to do that. We've always wanted to build our virtual model. So this forced us to do so. And secondly, that although there was so much disruption in education and industry, um, there was still um, a need for for students and especially young women to see that there's pathways for them along these, these, uh, uh, within the skill trades and STEM. 
So we pivoted to a virtual model and uh, we hosted about, I believe 10 virtual events in the fall of 2020 virtual events um, called Dream Big. So Dream Big Toronto, Dream Big Windsor, Dream Big Muskoka. Like we just, we enter different communities and we host events for school boards. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's our signature event. Um, but we're also in the works of putting together a trades week in May that's going to be offered to school boards um, and hosted in the evening where we're going to introduce um, families, not specifically families just with young women, but families across um, with both young young women and young men mm-hmm. um, with both daughters and sons um, to learn about the, the amazing career pathways within the skill trades. Because one thing, and I'm sure you're, you're seeing this, um, while COVID has disrupted a lot of industries, um, the skill trades is actually thriving oh. and doing really well and, and actually and, really busy. And the interesting part is we still need more skill trades. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's that's the interesting part, even though we've been so busy. Um, I mean, you know, I've had my ups and downs, but I mean, I, but generally speaking as a whole in an industry, I think we've been doing fairly well. And uh, But it's so interesting that there's still such a need for, for skilled trades, for, you know, people in the industry, you know what I mean? That, that have that passion for what they do. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, I know that construction is thriving. I mean, in Ontario, I'm focused on Ontario yeah. right now. It's thriving. Manufacturing is doing really well. Regardless, once we recover, once the economy recovers, um, there's still going to be an underrepresentation of minorities in these positions. COVID has no, COVID has actually, created a larger impact to the diversification of um, the workforce. Mm -hmm. Um, We know that women are being set back in the workforce now more than ever. Um, Add another layer to that and and look into male dominated industries. And we know that um, women are gonna be significantly underrepresented once COVID um, is in the past. So all that to say that as an organization, we wanted to I believe personally that now more than ever, we needed to support families in helping them um, and their kids explore different, new and different career pathways and, and giving them access to resources virtually to make those decisions. And I can tell you every region we've entered and every region we've hosted an event, we've received amazing feedback from everyone that's attended. That, that, that's awesome. And you don't like taking it back to like, you know, the construction industry, obviously. I've noticed like in the last couple of years, there's been, especially with a lot of, uh, a lot of the larger construction companies, there's been um, like new positions being, being made. Um, and it's like, you know, director of inclusion and diversity. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how do you see, or how have you seen uh, that helped in, you know, bringing up the number of, you know, minorities, uh, be it, you know, people of color or gender, you know, within the workforce. And have you seen that help um, over the last few years? Because like I said, I've noticed a lot more uh, emphasis on inclusion. Yes, I think definitely the world environments, things that were happening in North America, the Black Lives Movement, the Me Too Movement, um, it created uh, much needed conversations internally and enforced and encouraged companies to really um, create an environment or at least work towards creating an environment that was more inclusive and diverse. Uh, I have seen a shift um, from, from 
my seat, like from the lens that I'm that I'm looking into it from. Um, I know that um, in Windsor Essex, for example, we've been doing this work for over 10 years in trying to diversify the workforce with our local manufacturers. And I've definitely seen an impact. I've definitely seen a shift. Um, I do think initiatives um, that companies are taking like um, creating a diversity and inclusion position or a diversity and inclusion department where they have someone hired to specifically work on strategies that are going to not only um, recruit uh, from a diverse talent pool, but create more inclusive um, work policies that um, help retain and advance um, diverse applicants once they enter the field. Because we know that recruitment is one, one challenge, is getting enough um, diversity in the talent pool to recruit from. But the other challenge is the retention piece. Uh, speaking for, for women in the, in the workforce, we know that um, in, in, in engineering and in, in some skilled trades, they may enter, but we don't keep them. We don't, we don't retain them within the sector. So we're losing out on all that investment we made to attract them because we had not created environments um, that uh, gave a sense of belonging, that gave a sense of growth, that, um, that was reflective of the, the shift and the needs of a diverse um, workforce. So having, so knowing now that companies, large corporations, one of our partners is um, Ellis Dawn, for example, and they have uh, a diversity and inclusion director, um, and and they've been really, really great. And I know that they've 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 had some challenges as well. But it's the way they responded to it. It's it's that they were prepared and they had all the work already planned. Um, the discussions, the the strategies, and the the actions that they are specifically taking to 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 make to see a difference, to make a shift, and recognizing. I think one thing that I often encourage companies to do is is by recognizing that you aren't diverse or that you may not have been always inclusive. Um, that's not um, something to be. I personally don't think it's something that we need to shame companies in, in acknowledging. I think we need to um, applaud companies that say, I realize I didn't take the steps to diversify my, my sector. I was blind to the unconscious bias that I may have created within my sector. But now that I've learned the information and I'm made aware these are the, the steps that I will take to ensure that that doesn't continue or that doesn't happen. I think those conversations are are needed within the skill trades specifically. Like I think like when you acknowledge that you're from India, we know, and, I, and I'm sure you can agree with me, there's not many minorities in the skill trades. No, no. So not only are we talking few women, I, I know for sure when I go to recruit female speakers, that I we have to really search and build our network to find female minority speakers. So okay. what can we do to encourage more minorities to also join the skill trades? There, and it's it goes back to the messaging, the language, the recruitment strategy. It needs to change. We need to look beyond the status quo. What just because it's always been done this way does not mean it's it needs to continue that way. I agree. I think I think I think the biggest challenge is um, getting to that point, like you said, of recognizing that um, you know 
you tracked a certain way unconsciously. Some, you know what I mean? Because sometimes people don't realize until further down the line. And you're right. It shouldn't be something that people should be um, ashamed of or embarrassed for. It's, I think it's just, I, I think some people though, uh, and you know, and to be honest, maybe sometimes, maybe maybe me as well to a certain degree, sometimes, you know, getting over that hump and actually just asking um, for help and trying to figure out how to diversify a workplace is, I think is, is important because sometimes people aren't sure because even when we go in for interviews, we, regardless of who it is, um, you know, there's always a uh, stereotype, you know, the minute the person walks in, how they walk, how they talk, whatever the case might be. But I mean, that's not necessarily um, who they are or if they would be a good fit for you, right? Exactly, exactly. And we talk about um, Canada being so diverse um, as a country. Um, which means that everyone has different mannerisms, different ways of communicating. Um, it's not to say it's not the right way, it's just different. So once we um, can respect and appreciate our differences and acknowledge them, then when we are interviewing candidates um, from a different culture, a different background, we aren't placing them, um, we're not making these unconscious, uh, placing unconscious um, biases on those applicants, which are impacting their success in that role. It's that same thing when you, um, I often I often ask someone this, like if you walk into a mechanic shop and you see a female technician, are you gonna question her ability to fix your car? Or that conversation that happens behind closed doors about um, female firefighters. I never want, you know, like how often do we hear well, do you want, would you rather have a male or a female take you out of a, um, a burning house? A burning the, house yeah. yeah. The question is, do you want someone qualified that knows how to safely take you out of a burning house, whether they're male or female does not dictate mm -hmm. their strength. Yeah. I think just getting over that hump and saying they're there for a reason. They, so whoever's put them there has recognized that they are qualified. Do you know what I mean? Oh, well, they've passed the necessary yeah. testing. Yes, that's right. And um, um, and pro and they've gone through the same recruitment process as everybody else. So um, it's also those our own biases, unconscious biases that play a factor. It's the conversations that we have within our own network. Yeah. Um, how like how often did I hear um, female welders or electricians tell me that it was their own friends and family sometimes that discouraged them from going down that path yeah. or questioning their ability or female mechanic shop, uh, female owners that own mechanic shops being being questioned about their um, their role when when customers walk in and say, I want to speak to the owner and they present themselves as the owner. The customer is like, no, 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 really, no, really the really. other owner. <laughs> and she's like, no, no, I'm, I'm literally the only owner. Yeah. So it's those it's those situations and conversations that we challenge. And I think the more role models we have, both female role models or just in general, um, people of color, minorities um, showcase their success in these industries, the more we normalize, A, um, the recruitment and awareness piece, and then the more companies are, are recognizing that we do need to shift the way workplaces are designed mm -hmm. um, so that more people feel a sense of belonging. And that if, you're, um, if your shop floor is filled with all male colleagues and you're going to the network to see if um, they know anyone that, 
that um, would be interested in working um, on the on the shop floor that you're like don't be surprised if they just um, recommend another male yeah so what are you doing then to um, to cut that thought off to cut that uh, to create more stru- yeah. to create yeah. more initiatives in a different yeah. process yeah yeah wow I, you know it, it, it's funny you know we, we could keep talking and talking you know what I mean like yeah I know sorry I end up going right? on tangent uh, it's awesome but what do you what do you see for the for the rest of uh 2021 and uh, not just for build a dream but just the industry and 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 uh and, and beyond um, well, for Build a Dream, we're going to be really, really busy. We have a number of career expos coming up. And like I mentioned, Trades Week happening in May. Um, but in terms of the sector, I think now more than ever, I had mentioned this, that we need to, we're, we're, we're working on encouraging companies in um, building strategies, not just for today or, or the foreseeable, foreseeable future, but like 10, 15 years to come, because we know that there's been a significant setback for women in the workforce. And mm-hmm. Um, we need to build strong and sustainable strategies for the long term. And, and I'm very hopeful that with companies hiring diversity and inclusion officers and directors, that they're building the necessary steps um, and creating the necessary strategies to diversify. Um, I know that today, for example, I, I, I had two calls with different sectors talking about what needs to be done to recruit more women into both those sectors that are typically male dominated. So I know that these conversations continue to happen now more than ever during COVID. So I'm, I'm really hopeful that we're moving in the right direction and that the environment that we're in um, has really shed a light and in a way forced industry to respond, which is only going to benefit because the more diversity you have on your on your uh, in your workforce, the stronger your company is, and we both know that. That's why we do what we do. Um, so now I'm seeing more companies uh, take pride in that and want to see more of that happening. That's awesome. So, so if any of our listeners wanted to um, learn more about Build a Dream or how to be involved, how to get involved, um, how would they how would they get a hold of you? Where would they find um, more info? Sure. Um, well, we're definitely um, on all social media platforms. So I'm hoping you could add those in the show links. 100%. Yeah. Thank I you. Will. And then I'm also active on social media on all platforms. You can reach me on LinkedIn. You mm-hmm. can reach me at info at webuildadream.com. We have a great website with a lot of amazing resources. Um, and then we're always looking for uh, mentors, role models, speakers, industry partners, um, school boards, colleges, universities. I didn't even mention that piece. Um, so we're doing a lot of work in the DNI space, and uh, we'd love for more people to connect with us to join our community so we can really build um, a world where we all win, which is our motto for 2021. I love that. And and the one thing I will say too is you have your own podcast as well that, that I've actually enjoyed listening to some of the some of the stories and the journeys uh some of your, your guests have taken. Um I know it's called Perfectly Unfiltered as well. Um so fellow podcaster, we know it's a, a little <laughs> bit of a labor of love, but sometimes hearing those stories are are pretty phenomenal. Thank you so much. And I need to have we need to get you on my podcast that, next. That, that, that's not a problem. And, and you know what? I will I will end off with um, with this. You know, I saw it on your website and I actually love it. And I don't think it it should just apply to women. I think it should really apply to everybody out there. Uh, you know, you have something on there that says, I want my career to dot, dot, dot. 
because it's not about what you're, you know, it's not about a, mm-hmm. a job that you're doing. It's how do you want your career to make you feel? What do you feel like doing with your life, with your career, right? I love that sort of open-ended statement because it's not a question, it's a statement. I love it. So Rahul, let me throw it back to you. What sure. do you want your career to? <laughs> oh, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty lucky because um, I'm, I feel like I'm doing a lot of the things that I, that I, that I love doing. So, you know, I want to be able to collaborate with with you know different kinds of people that can that can just push my own uh, growth, be it you know intellectually, be it knowledge on a job site, or um, you know. So that's one. Uh, the, the other one is I love my career to be uh, interactive with people. I love it to be analytical as well because I love numbers and yes, I love Excel. I love my <laughs> Excel, my Excel spreadsheet. You know, so I like the healthy mix of both. You know, uh, but I think I think at the end of the day, for me, I want my my I want I want to be much older and be able to look back on my career and say, you know, I was really proud of what I did. You know, I never. Um, I never had to sacrifice any of my own ethics or morals in order to get ahead. I, I, I think that's that. something I'd love my, my, when, when it's all said and done, um, you know, I'd love to be able to say, you know, I didn't have to make, um, you know, any massive compromises that were not true to who I am. I think that's the, one of the biggest things I've learned over the last 20 years. <laughs> I, that is such a great way to um, motivate someone. Cause I'm all about, um, character and people will remember the care your character more than anything and always give um kindness spread kindness and now more than ever that's what we need so um i really love that yeah and what about you why don't you uh, answer that question as well i'll throw it back at you oh my um well one thing i often say i always want my career to motivate me enough to continuously make a difference like I joke all the time amongst my friends and family if I had more time in a day there's so many um uh things I'd like to change or 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 help with or organizations I'd like to volunteer for or advocate for change so regardless of what career path I take next or where this journey takes me I always want my career to feed my inner soul because um, I do believe that ultimately at the end of the day, when I when I go to bed at night or when I look my kids in, in the eye, uh, I want them to know that um, I made a difference in this world and that I hopefully left it a little bit better than when I entered. Um, so I always want any career that I pursue to, to really give me that inner satisfaction. That's awesome. What a, what a way to end the show. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for have, having me. I know it's been a long time coming. So. Oh, no, it's okay. You know, we've all been we've all been so busy. And, you know, like, like I said, I, I knew once we did record, it'd be hard to put a put a put a stop to it. But, you know, I know but, I often say it shouldn't be more than an hour. And I'm I know. Like going more than an hour. I'm so but, sorry. But it's all good. You know, who knows? Uh, six months, a year, there'll be something else to, to talk about. I, I, I don't think we'll have... Uh, um, I don't think we'll, uh, I don't we'll think we'll ever have something say. not to talk about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, no, thank you so much uh, for your time today. And uh, this was, this was fantastic. Thank you.